0: right thing your weekly writing prompt podcast i'm matthias and i'm jarvis jarvis and i are on a quest to unseat jk rowling from her throne as the most uh rich author in the world uh however we are not expert writers yet
1: so we're doing a challenge each week we sit down our goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words
0: then we come on the podcast, we read our stories, we talk about what we learned in writing them, and then we talk about stories sent in by you listeners.
1: Zach mundo, we're simply here to help you do the right thing. A do Doof Doof media, production. media
0: production. Excellent. Hey, we're back so from break.
1: One week break. We're back we're from back.
0: break. Uh, we went on a one week hiatus because uh I got roped into a family trip which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. I mean it was and it, it was uh during during a pandemic, which is not mm most responsible thing that Um, my family could have done but but i'm pretty sure uh, it
1: was still a blast yeah
0: and we did stay away from people like like really very we 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 saw less people than we did at home so uh, that's That's good so but uh so now we're back so we this week's episode is going to be a little bit different uh Uh (laughs) by a little bit different we're basically just calling back to how we used to do episodes we're, we're both going to read our stories um as we're going to be doing the prompt from last week and the prompt from this week and of course exactly. we're also going to read five stories from last week and five stories from this week just to make sure that everything is all fair and everyone gets the attention that they deserve
1: exactly which means this episode we will be reading and talking about a collection of 12 stories so please yeah. walk in uh maybe go to the gym and do a quick workout. Uh, because this one's going to be a pretty long one, but it's going to be fun. But it will be long.
0: I mean, it won't be that long. That said, yeah. my my gauge for how long a podcast is is just completely destroyed now. Oh yeah, uh, 4 hour Yeah, podcast. yeah, decomposing worm. The, the recording session for that was like five and a half hours, and uh, I I cut that down to four in the in the actual recording, so that was good. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> that said it's uh, uh talking about worm uh, it just does make the the time fly so it's not as bad but
1: and also uh, it you, you have so much content that you do have that to is
0: cover. true like
1: it, like yeah. worm is what the length of three different novels so it's uh, completely a little understandable. bit more than
0: that but yeah
1: exactly yeah. so it's completely understandable as to why every single last episode just continues to get longer personally i'm just waiting to finally finish worm one day uh <laughs> and then listen to your last episode which i'm seeing yeah, might be 10 hours
0: uh, i mean you got you got a, a month and a half left to do it so a to month and a it.
1: half okay well first things first uh i have four books that week. i need to read
0: <laughs> you could do it just binge it just yeah binge it i mean two weeks people do that
1: Exactly. I mean, I've, I've been doing pretty bad recently because I promised my, myself to read more, but instead I just replayed Dark, Dark Souls 3 as a mage.
0: See, um, here's the thing, Jarvis, you could listen to an audiobook while you're doing it.
1: Ooh, you're right because normally I don't even really listen to the audio of Dark Souls. I mean, yes, exactly. great. Music. It's just it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but,
0: I I listen to um most of the Magnus Archives that way, which is a it's a spooky podcast series that's uh really well done and uh just it, it really fits with the ambiance of of Dark Souls. Also, cool thing, if you listen to a book while you're, you know, doing something like a video game, uh, sometimes when you revisit an area you'll just you'll remember what you were listening to at the time and that's always very interesting.
1: Mm, like yeah, I can yeah. remember
0: uh the 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 deeper part of Dark Souls 1 um mm-hmm. in like the uh the the fiery area with all the lava and stuff.
1: Ah, Smoldering Lake, yes.
0: Yeah, and you know the <laughs> bit where there's like f- five or six of those uh the like minotaur guys with the big old swords in each hand yeah and there's like a bunch of them um i I, that particular one i remember the exact episode that i was listening to i don't remember the number but it was about spiders and i remember the entire story (laughs) when i think of that scene
1: of of, of that place so it's interesting yeah you have soft ptsd
0: I have soft PTSD. All right. Um so how we're going to structure this is uh Jarvis is going to read his story uh and then we're going to talk about the stories from last week and then I'm going to read mine and we'll talk about the stories from this one uh, just to keep all the words in the same places.
1: Exactly. So, uh my so my week was as we put it down in the uh in the subreddit was week 65 and my mm-hmm. words were uh arch monkey oppose, and up Mhm
0: So Jarvis which words do you use this week
1: I used arch week. Yeah for, for that week I used arched uh, I use arch opposed and up Uh and the process for writing this week cuz I did uh write on it yesterday and this morning was uh, pretty good I think the week break definitely did, uh, did my mind good uh just so that I had time to really allow a lot of the creative juices to kind of just for Heck a yeah. uh, while longer. Uh mm-hmm. and I was able to hop back into a world that I liked very much, which is yes, weekend yes. city. Um and kind of not and and I decided not to continue on canonically with, with what I've done previously on the podcast. Okay. And decide to chronologically skip- you mean yeah uh chronologically and i decided to to skip around to a scene that i was really really uh pondering for a for a very long time uh i guess for uh for context uh yeah, if you it, for,
0: for someone who haven't hasn't heard you talk about weekend city before could you in like two sentences explain the it. the keyest points of the world
1: all right so weekend city is a fake non-fake city where people can can go in and they are injected with this serum named blue and basically it helps them forget everything else about the outside world so that while they're in weekend city they can live totally different lives in this fake 20th century city now the story follows a follows a main character named zoo who is a staffer so he works above and works Around weekend city, making sure everything goes well.
0: That's, that's an excellent ice- summary. Yes, yeah. that's really really good. That's that's like leagues improved from the last time you
1: you gave one. Did you write that down? No, I just had a lot more time to wow. think of it.
0: <laughs> I'm very proud of you, Jarvis. That's oh, that's really you. really good.
1: Yeah, and uh, so the so the scene that I decided to write this week, uh, the idea came to me when I was listening to this song named Sarah by Hungry Four Hands. If you haven't listened to it, please go and listen to it. It's definitely one of my favorite songs, only because there's this amazing buildup and it sets this amazing mood. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I just think it's a really great song to kind of get you into a very dark, uh, noir-esque headspace. Um, but but through listening to, to that, I kind of came up with this with this scene uh and i don't know i i definitely like a lot of the things i was doing in the scene uh there are there are things of course that can be improved upon but i will say that this is definitely one of my prouder pieces
0: i i actually really enjoyed it too so uh without further ado um unless there's anything else we need to know before getting into it uh let's go ahead and listen to your story
1: all right let's go ahead this is jarvis lister and the title of this one is Small Business. On Sundays, it was kept dim all day. Mornings shine like evenings, and nights shades way from vent to black. When the sun came, the sky filled with dense, harmless gases and found their way into clouds and fog. And when the sun left, energy was siphoned from the city by 10%. Parties ended promptly at midnight. Businesses locked their doors and street performers strum their favorite melody to a bottle of Jack and last week's lute. If not on their own volition, Weekend would have made it mandatory to relax on Sunday. But Blue, aka Natari Blue, does an amazing job at inserting ideas into the influential. The idea itself was conceived to bring out the beauty of the city in low light. Flowers and trees almost bioluminescent against the sky. Visitors and residents alike appreciate this Sabbath. Anyone signs the contract with the assumption of fun, timeless nights and high-flying mornings. But the pleasant surprise of Weekend is in its fair beauty. Zoo thinks that's why he stays. The best Weekend would offer was a modern chic apartment on Sunday Street across from the welcome center and a stroll from the hyperwave. Zo got tenure after years of keeping the peace, so the whole sixth floor and some of seventh was his to ignore. Humbly, his life remained in a chic loft, pointed at his office and the whole of weekend, his little watchtower, that had a small kitchen island and a wick oven, poor cable and little cell service but the space was open and comfortable and the chairs were cozy and placed by the window on most nights a brass ashtray perpetually sat atop the inner seal of the window withered cigarettes smoldered pale smoke in the brass monks butts covered in soot and a few flies croaked by the smoke a cut of light from parted blinds passed the smoking window to hit the living room table, casting dollar noodles and cheaper booze in the limelight, all of which was stacked in the middle, surrounded by a ring of ash that caked into the dust, offering no reflection for the rest of the loft. The distant hall light, however, crept into the smoking room through the lower divide between front door and carpet, just enough to cast a shadow. Zoo's letting his wounds heal this time. This thread he's been following has been more trouble than it's worth. To think, he could just walk away, take the easy out, and clock in tomorrow as if nothing happened. And yet he still poked his nose in the musk of the city. For what? Love? A bit of money. Maybe a story he's been wanting. No matter the reason, the residents have thrown rocks at him. He's totaled a few cars. Let some people down ran from the real cops and had his slides split open by red hats even now on the sixth floor in a plush chair the bandages that wrapped from his chest to kidney still speckled rosy stains around his abdomen back and ribs if a tussle were to break out he'd be little more than a crash test dummy to take care of thank god his apartment on sunday rarely saw guests from its perch and through magnifying binoculars, all of Sunday Street was in full view. Far in the dark and dim streetlight, to the left towards the hyperway, a monstrous gate divides the world from the pseudo-20s town. Then there's the Welcome Center to its right, with two tall trees out front and a plethora of garbage and papers tucked away down an adjacent alley. smack in front of the loft was Wright's Inn a four-story dingy dive with ample balconies and an elegant Victorian flare. The inn doubled as a brothel, underground, because if they knew staffers knew about their little business, it simply wouldn't be as fun for them, and it would break the fragile facade of the city. Strange enough, next to Wright's is a classy bar famous for its bad times and a long alley that cuts through sunday monday and tuesday street many things have been going wrong in weekend an all too average od case led zoo to brothels and underground red hat joints gabby gabes clued him in on the drug flow coming from waif and concrete and days after of tailing a burly mook in a zoot suit honed the base of operations to sunday street so Zu used his hard-earned vacation time to be somewhat of a LB Jeffries and stalk the street. Right on time, the mook's noir rancher hat cut through the bar's double doors. Sharp as a switchblade, his monkey suit pointed the shoulders and cuffed the pant legs. Pinstrides bowed out around the midsection and cinched around his waist. His stomach was a double barrel of rum and shook with his walk pulled his neck to a hunch, and his back to bend. Proportionally, he was top-heavy. Cannon blaster biceps and brick-wall knuckles. The mook didn't need brass to get his point across. Fucking knuckle-dragger. The mook was always on Zoo's list, and if officers were more gabby to higher-ups, he'd be public enemy number one. But his sharp retina, concealed by the noir brim, could cut glass at a distance makes any cat in Weekend look the other way. Off the books, Zeus met him before. Off the books, because the Mook was a foreigner. Blues never touched him. And, on the Weekends, he's known to frequent sprawl ball tourneys and waif. So the law can't let him slop or oppose to report any information about him. But the Mook was smarter than anyone gave him credit for. The ape man was actually a businessman ran high-dollar items exclusive to waif to the front door of staffers above Zoo. From drugs to books to fusion food and chargers, the mook was a one-stop shop for anyone in the know. He made his way down the street, fiddled with something in his hand, metal, heavy and flat, like a phone but thinner. Zoo figured it was a cred, outside currency, but wondered why. Weekend had its own currency, whether through bartering or cold hard cash, creds are nothing more than paperweights to weekenders. The mook made it to rights, and from Zo's perch he tracked him through the front door. The mook looked lost, drunk in the foyer, hung around the walls and exits, a bit out of place but mostly impatient. Eventually, a golden dress and expensive jewelry greeted the man with a dainty wrist. Zoo couldn't place who she was, but knew she was a call girl. Why else would she talk to the mook? The woman controlled the room, stepped around the mook, and locked arms to take him upstairs. Through the first, second, and third floor, the mook was a comedian, leaned down to the glitzed-up call girl to whisper his latest line. She laughed big showy making sure the man with the money gets his worth she then brought him up to the fourth floor pecked him on the cheek and ushered him in to a large loft open to sunday street zoo knew the layout the front door led to an open kitchen bedrooms in the back lights dripped down from the ceiling in a floral bulb that curled at the ends a step further in there's an open bar mixologists included and either a desk or living area in the bulk of the room. Presidential suites came with either paintings, flowers, or tapestries, and can be customized with any combination. The blinds were drawn with thick blackout curtains, however, so Zoo couldn't make out if the faint shadow were flowers or some goon with natural hair. The balcony was a main attraction, wrapped right around the outside of the loft and jetted out to a sort of awning, it had a quaint seating area and a table, an infinity candle glowing in the middle. Its rails were iron bars, contorted and twisted to mimic a paisley pattern, and basking in the nightlight with the smoothest drags was an old call girl, way past her prime, smiling to herself at the pleasantries of later life. The room was a blind spot, zoo's only end being the balcony. Past the older lady, the blinds were drawn open but the angle from Zo's perch only caught the shadow of the action. The mook's wide brim stepped into the light and bobbed up and down, animated, as if furious or jovial with the conversation. From the back, another slimmer shadow met him and calmed the bobbing. The second shadow's hat was tall, flat, and in zoo's assumption, most likely red. A suitcase was passed, and they exchanged final goodbyes before the mook made his way back into the streets. The little busybody on Sunday caught a tree in his eye, but not a special one. In fact, where others that speckled the street flourished, this loathsome sap outside rights was barren and nearer to death than the sky. But the mook was fascinated by the attempt, and gawked at the rotten thing. From the roots in the dirt, up, 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 broken branches and brown chlorophyll caught in the wind, then up, up, up the sky. He looked up at the starlight fog and swirling midnight blue, purposely based on ancient artwork. The fog of his work faded as remnants of infinite youthful nights trace his eyes from solar mass to heavenly light. For four drunken moments, the crook that plagued the weekend stood tall in the city. Before gravity caught his gut, an old pasta crunched his fall. Zoo was able to grab a glass before the Mook got back up and arched his back. Ready for work, he scrambled for his suitcase and dipped into an alley next to the welcome center, clocking in for the night. Glass in hand, Zoo kept a ledger of the Mook's dealings tonight. Sally Day, Vicky Wills, Humphrey Tritler, Wren Keller, and even Calico Tran, the surviving sister who tipped him off, came out of the alley in a stumbling giggle. All looked like good highs, singing kumbaya in the streets as if maestros of the galaxy. Working in Weekend never required many late nights. Yes, that's when everything savory and sour happens. But, by that time, everyone's well clocked out. So Zoo wasn't as sharp as he was in the beginning. Stale air of his loft was deafening, eyes long dry and on the verge of collapse. So desensitized subtle shifts around the apartment mixed in with the AC and sizzle of smoke. The of carpet clinks on the counter, slow approach of bleak, infinite sleep. An hour passed, or maybe ten minutes, Zu couldn't be sure, but the mook was on the move, hopping out of the alley with a fat pocket and straight back, lit some of his product before heading to the hyperway, or so Zu thought. Hours before sunup, the mook removed his hat to unfurl long curls remnant of Hasidic Jews, rifled about his his hat to pull out a five-pronged golden badge that fit perfectly in to the Welcome Center scanner. Another dirty cop. Enough information to condemn him to the fields of the Badlands was in Zhu's notes, and for a split second he could finally breathe a sigh of relief. He looked up, past Sunday Street to the whole of Weekend. Might be raining soon. Clouds above twisted dark tails of the city zoo saw a man shadowy figure covered from head to toe including eyes and hands he held a garret razor thin and thick at the ends meant to slice into their prey before choking the life out of them the storm was angry heavy hot breath at the back of his neck came closer with malicious intent pull rip gluck zoo's neck got caught wire digging up under his Adam's apple, bulging his jugular under the pressure. An assassin, a nightcap, caught zoo by the tail, ripped him up from his perch down beneath the coffee table. The garret was wrapped around twice, letting blood from its creases and blasting Zu's vision with charred technicolor. Above him, the nightcap was built, like being choked by a brick wall. His size took Zo's elbows, without so much as a shudder. When Zo bashed his knees, damn things wouldn't buckle. Head, kidney, ear, leg. Did nothing but tighten his grip. The killer's must drowned Zo's vision, zapping the feeling from his fingers and lungs. He was almost there. He went for a dirty trick, popped the killer's neck, and put a knee in his crotch. He held steady, but Zo pushed off. Slipping on top of the nightcap and took the coffee table with him. On top, zoo wailed at his neck until his grip was too weak to hold. Then he wailed some more, stood up, stomped his jaw into his neck. With an unwanted body in the room, he looked back across the street to the fourth floor of the welcome center. In the top right corner, the blinds were drawn in a window, and the mook stood tall towards zoo military-grade binoculars honed on him. The mook smiled and brought them down. He then pulled out his cell, pointed patiently at it. Somewhere amongst the broken glass and stained carpet zoo's landline rang. He picked up, and was met with a raggedy voice of a seasoned smoker, Irish, and filled with age. There's nothing wrong with a little nightcap. Your staffer, Three floors above you. Remember that next time you go gawking.
0: What a fantastic story, Jarvis. I think this is my favorite entry into the Weekend City series. Um, I, I, Your prose just continu- continuously gets better and better while uh, holding on to uh, the, the complex charm that you have in your voice. Um, I think you really did a you did a really good job here. Yeah, thank, building thank this, you. Building this this noir uh ish tone where the narration kinda slips in and out of Zune's, zoo's own uh thought processes and biases.
1: Yeah. And I think one major thing that kinda changed that kinda changed for me when it came to writing this is that I know in previous entries I've been doing a lot more of first person uh mm-hmm. which is definitely something I'm a lot more com- I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with. But I've kind of realized that I have the I have the ability to tell a better story and a more multifaceted story if I'm not bogged down by one voice. Sure. Uh yeah. and I'm able to kind of show multiple things in the scene, even things that are that are outside of the view of the main character. Um so yeah, for, for this one, I definitely tried at a third person, and quickly I realized that I was able to do a lot more things with my pros, uh, and a and a, another thing that I really tried to do is slow down and kind of create moments, right? Because I know mm-hmm. previously I was more so focused on the, on the story overall, which is great, but I kind of skipped over creating the, those moments. So I know in this uh, one really big moment that I kind of threw in there because I really wanted to give the Mook more characters when he mm-hmm. was looking at this rotting tree. And then he just mm-hmm. looked from from roots to branch all the way up to the sky. And then for a, and then for a moment, the Mook wasn't a Mook, but he was just a, another person in Weekend City before, of course, crashing back down to Earth. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I really um, enjoyed moments in, in the other moments like that. I, um, yeah, there was particular moments where I was a little bit confused on some um, phrasing on like what exactly uh, you meant by a particular phrasing. I think that was one of those moments um, where I, I mean, I, I did get like once he was like looking up, but I think you have something like uh, like a tree hit him or something. Well, hold on. Let me find it. Oh, okay. you said, um, the little busybody on Sunday caught a tree in his eye, but not a special one. So I guess caught a tree in his eye. I was like, did he get poke, poked in the eye
1: with
0: a... With, with a the, tree? Th- yeah. With a tree. Uh, I can so see how, it's just,
1: yeah. how that can be twisted, yeah.
0: Yeah, so there's just a couple of moments like that. But other than that, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, there's particular sections earlier to the beginning where uh, you're just describing the mook and how it works or how he works uh-huh. and uh there there's like a there's there's a lot of here here with like your the way that you're using asides to like tell in very short bursts how uh there's other parts to this particular story so for example um off the books, off the books, Zeus met him before. Off the books, because Mook was a foreigner. Blues never touched him. And on weekends, he's known to frequent sprawl ball sprawl ball tourneys tur- in Waif, so the lot can't let him slide. So um, just the, the, the almost conversational asides like that are, are really, really enjoyable and um, went a really long way to building the ambiance and the tone and the sort of uh, narrative momentum of the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, in those moments, I kind of used it to, uh, I guess, catch the audience up. Right. Um, Because this is, of course, I guess, in the middle of this larger story that I've been trying to build. Uh, And a huge disadvantage of that is that all other things leading up to this uh, aren't present. Right. So I Mm -hmm. have to kind of summarize them in uh, very little bits. Like, um, I know there was another aside where I kind of just ran through what got him here, how a how a average OD case, let him here, let him here, let him here. And now he is uh, staking out uh, Sunday Street. So I feel that if this was longer, of course, those those bits um, would definitely be be placed in different places. Um, But. Mm At the same time, I kind of really wanted to build up another character besides the the uh, main character. You know, give the right. same amount of importance to someone else, and I found that mm-hmm. in the character of the Mook, how um, he, of course, is this businessman, big, burly, very, very menacing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way
0: you would describe him is is almost cartoonish, but yeah, um, it's it's done in a way where. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that, like, these aren't literal descriptions. His knuckles aren't actually, you know, dragging on the floor. It's just the the narrator just uh, uses such exaggeration to just get you the feeling of what mm-hmm. it is to be around this person.
1: Yeah. And then also, you know, calling him the, the uh, ape man and uh, stuff like mm-hmm. that. I was trying to have those bits and pieces to build this man in this uh, monkey suit, you know? um because Uh for because for some reason uh, in like my mind even though this is not how i wanted to come uh uh, across but i did see the mook as a gorilla in a suit (laughs) Uh, (laughs) okay uh and i kind of just used that image to describe how he works as a person in weekend city um so, yeah. So, like, overall, this, this scene of, uh, Zoo, um, following the, uh, the, uh, exploits of, of the Mook, did the transition from, like, scene to, to scene of a moving throughout this, this street work well? Or, like, were you lost at, uh, any places? Like, maybe when you went up to the inn and exactly what was going on in there, or...
0: No, no. Uh, I really, I actually really enjoyed the way you did stuff like that. The only times where I was a little bit confused was um, as I understood it, it was all through Zeus' perspective, and I just wasn't sh- sure how to picture him being able to see everything that was going on. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like I was just trying to picture. I mean, so I, w- I was trying to picture like what angle a balcony could see all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I was like. that that wasn't impeding my understanding of what the events were. It just made Mm. me unsure of, like, that one particular detail of, like, how he was witnessing it. But the rest of it, uh, I I mean, I just, like, accepted that he was taking in that information and it didn't really matter exactly where he was. So I just kind of let it happen.
1: So maybe doing a bit more work on setting up exactly where Zoo is. uh, Mm -hmm. Because um, he is in the apartment complex that's across the, the street. Uh mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure how much I should really talk about that apartment complex because the entire building well, itself doesn't come into play until the very yeah. end where the uh where the uh when the nightcap shows up.
0: Well uh well I think it's pretty useful to just to give the immediate surroundings, but just mm. the fact that Zeus on the balcony is really all I needed. It was more just like the physical logistics of like seeing into another building. Mm, That was more my thing. Like, I I mean, I don't need to know like exactly where the buildings are. I I don't need to know where the buildings are like geographically. I just need to know like, you know, he's looking through a window or whatever, that a Mm. particular angle or because he's so far above, he can spy over the top of the roof or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, when I was writing that, I was kind of spending way too much time working out the logistics of it, right? Because from his perch, he's supposed to be able to see all of Sunday, while also being able to see all of all of Weekend City. And he's on mm-hmm. the sixth floor. And the okay. tallest building that's, that's across the street is on the fourth floor. Now, thinking of the angles and how uh-huh. tall stories really are, okay. I... I in my head was not completely sure of what his angle would be because if I'm really uh-huh. thinking logically, he wouldn't be able to see into any building. He'd be he'd be looking at the top of the buildings, uh-huh. right? So of course that's a lo- that is a logistical thread that I went down for hours. Yeah, and just I think decided to I kind think of
0: thread. You don't, This is I don't think you would have needed to use Pythagoras theorem to find out exactly <laughs> the angle that he can, he's looking into the, the opposite building, mm-hmm. which you could do. You actually could. I'm, I'm certain you could do the math and knowing the average height of a story, you could actually find out what the angle is, but um, no, um, yeah, I don't think you, you need to do that in particular.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely on a second go, because I do plan on probably working with this scene more and uh, seeing if it does make its way in, uh, into the larger story i would definitely probably break out math and like start doing s- stuff with my uh <laughs> a protractor. only you said, because you I... said
0: you were wanting to uh draw some maps recently
1: yes yes very much so uh specifically i've been thinking of a a, a large map for all of like I don't know what it's called, but all of the world of of waif so uh it has waif in there mm-hmm. it has weekend it has uh, it has a concrete city and it has uh C- Crowford I think these are all places that i've at least written about somewhere
0: i think so. Um,
1: yeah and yeah i would I would love to kind of create this map because I think when uh well at at least for for me, I am able to kind of process things a lot easier when there is that visual components and uh if i can figure out visually where things are and like the distance between things it can it basically just helps me fully flesh out this this world because for myself it's even more real when it's on paper you know
0: right yeah yeah you know that actually i think would be an interesting um do the do the right thing thing sometime where we all uh, draw on maps and try to like really use them to create a story in some way or another
1: yeah definitely definitely um okay so i have one question Hmm. um so journey overall you said it, it was pretty solid which you know i'm yeah i'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy no I, that. I actually like
0: price. i really really i really enjoyed the the meandering journey of of weekend city and and reading things in this particular voice a lot so
1: okay yeah thank you Uh, I just know that the one part that I sadly didn't give enough time to, and I think it's because of course I was running out of time, uh, but also I wasn't sure how this element even worked into the story itself. But uh, when the nightcap really showed up and started to uh, strangle Zoo, Mm -hmm. um, so so the lead up to that, did you suspect anything or were those clues kind of hidden? in a lot of the uh, language and like what'd you think of it overall so
0: uh once once it was happening i think i i you know i went with it and i thought it was really good and so i wasn't too surprised like i wasn't like shocked which i think is is good i think that's what you want to be going for where it's not like what the hell is happening be- just because um of of the tropes you're building off of right this is a noir thing we have one character watching another one uh it's not like shocking that uh then the person that's getting watched is getting attacked right Mm -hmm. um but i think just having a moment a a second before uh zoo you know getting um uh, attacked having a clearer uh signifier that something else is here Mm. um i know there's the line um The storm was angry, heaved hot breath at the back of his neck. Uh, But it was like, it wasn't, oh wait, no. Actually, let me find.
1: Because I, yeah, because I know that. Yeah. That, uh. Yeah, that's actually post, yeah. Yeah. What you
0: say? Yeah, sorry, I I was reading out the wrong line. Um, Yeah, Well, I know that
1: that paragraph that you were reading from, I was kind of trying to create that, moment of a breather there where like as he's looking up at the sky and the clouds are telling dark dark tales of uh weekend he does see a a, a shadow man with a garret and yeah and i don't know if that came across that he was looking at a reflection but he didn't realize it
0: oh. um yeah that's 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 where uh i didn't i didn't get that detail okay. yeah because i wasn't sure we you know you have the line zoo saw a man shadowy figure covered from head to toe, including eyes and hands and y- y- he's holding the garret and all that um i yeah i just didn't know exactly where zoo was looking and upon a reread i thought it was that he'd like turned around and saw him or had just like looked up and and seen him but i wasn't sure at all like what okay, direction okay. or anything so i think for me um adding like one line maybe about like a like a footstep or something uh just to know that it's like it's he's in the area. It, oh. I think the first time I read it I thought it was a, a man very far off in the distance like going to kill the the mook. Oh, um, okay. Mhm. No. And and then something just about Zoo turned around, he saw a man, right?
1: Okay, I see. Cuz I know um earlier in the story, uh I did add a bit where um zoo wasn't used to to staying up with with late nights and that the stale air of the apartment was desensitizing or 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 something and where the crunch of the carpet and the clicks on the counter mixed them with the with the ac um i was Mm -hmm. trying to suggest that these sounds in his apartment was the nightcap walking in Mm -hmm. but of course the i i feel that probably a lot of my breadcrumbs need to be more obvious in that fact
0: yeah i think the thing is uh like in um in something where the the scene only has like you know five details and like two of them are those kind of breadcrumbs like if it it, like if the entire description of the apartment it was like just that um and, and the surrounding scene was was just that line then i think it would be you know something to pay attention to, but you have a like a ton of details, uh, and so without getting emphasized, it blends in with the rest and just becomes how you describe the place
1: okay okay so in uh, emphasis is mm-hmm. is a thing that's missing in a way
0: yeah, I, I almost wonder like how obvious you would have to make it like uh there's almost a part of me that wants to say like i I mean maybe this is probably too on the nose but having something like literally saying uh the crunch of carpet almost like footsteps or something Mm. Um,
1: okay
0: and at least that i think would work i don't know if there's there's probably a better slightly more subtle way a, a way that is as obvious to a reader but not as like obviously you're trying to signal them, you know.
1: Okay, yeah. Like, because like the information
0: I, it's giving you is obvious, but not the fact that it is a signal is obvious.
1: Okay, I see. Yeah, because for that scene I definitely want to create this effect where a way reader can pick up on that there is someone in in the room but it isn't obvious to where mm-hmm. the reader is questioning as we are watching the the mo- walk walk down the the street if someone else is in the room with zoo and of course i guess that that in itself will take more than just one draft uh to kind of create that effect yeah yeah
0: yeah and 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 as well the closer you, you give that sort of description to the actual thing the more likely we are to uh to pay attention to it and hear it
1: okay okay yeah yeah, you're you're giving me lot, uh, lots of things to uh, think about, especially on the on the second run. Um, yeah. yeah,
0: of course, of course. And I'm always looking forward to more stuff in Weekend City. So, mm-hmm. if you were to rewrite this piece, what would you change? Or I guess, do you feel that you've already said that?
1: For the most part, I mean, one major thing that I would do would be to work a lot more on on the beginning. I know for the most mm-hmm. part, I was kind of rushing to get to to get to the meat of it, which I think it did come in at a fairly solid place. Because the beginning is, yes, very uh, uh, me uh, meandering uh, in a sense, but at the same time, I feel that I could do a lot more with the description of of the building, so that this building is as visible as let's say the hyperwave or the Mm -hmm. uh, welcome center and uh stuff like that and um of course i will want to spend a lot more moments with with zoo as he's watching just to kind of keep up with the frame of of this story um along with kind of building it up so that when he does get uh, attacked you have a stronger uh connection to the person watching um
0: mm-hmm.
1: and just pretty much reworked the entire ending i'm not really sure how this tussle scene should kind of play out uh i think that was I, there. I, was,
0: I thought he was immediately dead because yeah. there's, he's already bleeding from his throat so that's exactly. the only thing that was like oh my god he's not and, dead yeah, but <laughs> that's not that big a deal
1: and, and i think it was probably too quick of a scene especially since it was such like a really big tussle and uh zoo's getting choked out by this razor i I don't think
0: it i don't think it needed to be much longer well Um, like okay so
1: so not mm -hmm. longer but i guess more palpable i would just kind of rework how that entire scene kind of plays out while while still keeping a lot of the same moves but i would use a totally different way of how to describe it
0: sure um
1: and then you know towards the the very very ending uh i'm not exactly sure why i made the mook uh watch zoo and then call him i'm not really sure how that kind of works into anything Uh, else i think it's fine i think it's fine but 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 that's the thing it's fine right it doesn't well (laughs) it it doesn't do what, what I wanted to to do for the scene, and I think sure. the the main reason why I did add it is because I wanted to uh, have someone say the uh, line um, "There's there's nothing wrong with a yeah, yeah. little nightcap," uh, which yeah. uh, did you see the comment? Yes, that, that I left saw for your it?
0: your comment on the Google Doc. Do you want to explain it right right now?
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, the this is
0: a footnote. What's that? a footnote to your story
1: yeah so so basically it is a comment on this one line that i wrote i wrote for myself just adding context to to the line because it is definitely a line that i want to use a lot more throughout uh and basically the the phrase is used in a joking manner when you say that someone should be killed right so like uh for instance I know that I that I wrote like something to the effect. Basically, what it says is this: this damn president is is doing a bad job. There is there is nothing wrong with a little nightcap, and it's <laughs> and it's the punchline to a to a joke, uh, basically saying uh-huh. that there's there is nothing wrong with a little murder, jokingly so. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I, something
0: that would only be said in in. We- welcome city or weekend it, exactly, city sorry exactly
1: yeah it's it's a very weekend city ex- uh, exclusive phrase and I know that the mm-hmm. whole reason for me adding that last that last part is because I wanted someone to say that but I feel that it wasn't the right thing because I kind of feel that the that the scene itself ended on a very flaccid note versus the rest of it that I felt was a lot more thoughtful on mm. on my part um, so, yeah, I was just totally... Re- I do really
0: like the saying.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I love the uh, saying, too, and it'll probably find its way in there in some fashion. I just mm-hmm. don't know if right then and there is the moment for it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would just probably re rework the the ending and then see where I go from there. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, is there anything other than what you've already
1: said that you feel that you learned from it? Um. Not really. I I think the biggest thing that I really learned is that one thing that I think I really learned was that switching up the point of view allowed me to do so many different things uh creatively with this story. Um I feel that I was kind of shackled to the to the first person point of view and that sure. that is and uh and that that is how weekend shit weekend city should be told. But Mm -hmm. through me kind of stepping outside of my own expectations for this story allow me to find a new avenue to possibly travel down for this story one that i know is a lot better than what i have done in the past so i don't know i guess switching things things up is what i learned from this week
0: sounds good all right
1: um Okay,
0: let's get into the listener stories uh, for uh, last week.
1: All right, cool. So we're about to go into the listener submitted stories section. As you already know by now, we are going to spoil all of these stories so much. So please wait and listen to the stories that we are going to be talking about this week. And if you haven't read some of them, you should pause, go read them, and come right on back. Because we are going to to spoil them In the best way possible.
0: (laughs) That's a a wonderful explanation for what we're doing here, Jarvis.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So, the stories we we are going to be talking about this week are by... Nick Dewey, Ghost Pac-Man 4, Sarah Penguin, Ace of Sword, and Rhythm. Sure.
0: (laughs) Rhythm. Why not? Uh, But okay, let's start with Ghost Pac-Man 4. Uh, So Ghost Pac-Man 4 wrote when to stop. Uh, We start off here with a bird talking to a monkey who is not in very good Uh, (laughs) straits. They are dehydrated uh, but they really truly want to fly and the bird in exchange for being freed tells the monkey about far in the distance there are hairless monkeys that get into big metal shiny things and fly like birds uh and so our 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 monkey here uh sets off on a quest to go to this place and so they they start going um uh, and eventually they are stopped by this troop of monkeys that's their territory and the leader of them uh faces off against the uh, the main monkey and our our main character monkey and our main character monkey in the process picks up a stick and uses the stick to uh, fight against the the leader and wins. And so here we have the first act of tool use. And then we cut forward a, a a while later, and they are they're facing off against the last of the the leaders of the monkeys that are in their way. And we see how they've acquired so many other tools. They have like little bags with food and rocks. Their stick now has a rock on the end of it, so it's much stronger than any fist. And they basically have like a a stone knife. And so. Uh, we're very impressed with this enterprising monkey and we're a little bit uh concerned with what it is uh up to so it's at the very edge of the forest and now it can see where it's supposed to be where it's supposed to go right this place where the uh humans are right where the 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 planes that fly are and it's come to this decision uh if it stays it could basically become a, a ruler of you know these monkeys and pass on the uh knowledge it has and just generally uh, have a wonderful wonderful life or it could go forward and follow its, its dream and do what's dangerous uh where it might not be useful the enemies are even worse and death is a likely possibility and we finish off on the line the choice was obvious to me and so i think we're being led to uh Understand that the monkey is definitely continuing forward uh, uh-huh. to this, this place of likely death because they want to fly.
1: Uh, yeah, I I think this story was abso- absolutely awesome. I mean, okay, personally, I love anything when it comes to monkeys. I love watching monkeys. I love being around monkeys. I like hearing about monkeys because they're so uh-huh. awesome just, just to look at. Uh, but okay. um, with this story specifically, I really like the uh, escalation of it. Right? How mm-hmm. they, how this monkey starts with a very simple two and with a very simple tool and a very simple goal. Uh, how he wants to fly like the bird, and how this one want kind of led him <clears throat> to not only con controlling so so much so much territory, but also evolving in a sense to where now he's able to possibly face up against these um humans and basically basically figure out how to to how to fly. Uh so yeah, I just mm-hmm. really really liked that. I think it was written very well and spaced out really nice. Um also I I do like the uh monkey on on monkey scenes. I I I really think that the action was uh-huh. was done really well. Uh, in this story and yeah overall it 's a really great one
0: yeah yeah it's yeah the the yeah the action does feel super satisfying, and i 'm always for the the power fantasy of the 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 main character just getting more and more intelligent over time it 's always a lot of fun exactly. but i i yeah i think the the execution of this theme here of uh pursuing a dream even if it 's dangerous even if it 's difficult maybe to the point of self destruction um I think it's very interesting i think it's well executed here
1: yeah uh i like kind of saw it as a uh lost scene of us of a caesar's climb to power
0: i think i would agree okay uh, the next story is by Nick to you, uh, which is called folkloric. Oh. And what's interesting here is that it's also about a monkey that also has stone tools, uh, which oh. I thought was just a wonderful coincidence here.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, but this monkey, almost, almost mm-hmm. every story this, this week had a solid. Uh, monkey yeah, theme. yeah.
0: Well, yes. Considering one of the words was monkey. Oh,
1: really? Um,
0: <laughs> uh so uh, this, in this one a a monkey uh exits a temple and we understand that there's predators around this temple but this is where uh this monkey has been staying and we we actually don't get revealed that it's a monkey until a little bit later uh but we we first just understand it because it's climbing trees and and jumping around and then uh it hears some humans for uh further away and so these humans spot the monkey and it goes in hide so they can watch the, the humans and, um, we sort of get this understanding that in this area, there's are some, uh, dangerous predators, probably not actually like normal predators, some monstrous kind of thing is kind of what I, what I think we're being hinted at. And, uh, these humans have unsuspectingly, uh, wandered into this area or they're searching for something and gone into this area. And so the monkey thinks that, um or vows basically to protect these humans from the monsters that they're unaware of
1: yeah um i think one of the coolest things about this story is the monkey's decision to kind of protect the humans Uh, it was something i wasn't really expecting um but at the same time it kind of uh, it kind of changed the direction of this story so now i'm kind of even more so in, i'm i'm even more so interested as to exactly what these creatures are um, especially since they were built up so much by the uh internal by the in, by the internal monologue of the monkey um mm-hmm. and overall i think it's written very well um and i really liked the prose and i also liked how we didn't really get too much description of the humans how how it's Mm -hmm. supposed to just be this general idea of of these humans being here uh so yeah overall i think it's really great and i think it's a really great setup to something that could be a longer uh very action-packed story
0: sure yeah um and i know that Nick you this is uh their first time submitting so Mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining us exactly uh the next one we're going to talk about is by Sarah Penguin with um, the Spymaster and the Princess Part 10 The Night Before Battle. So this is an ongoing series that Sarah mm. Penguin has done where a Spymaster has rescued a princess and uh, now they're they're fighting in a, a civil war kind of thing or trying to reinstate the princess to the throne. Uh, so in this one, uh, the princess is talking to uh, the Spymaster before the battle, of course. And, um, they start off talking about politics, uh, talking about their, their path, uh, past, um, among other things. And, uh, then we pretty quickly slip into fr- flirtation, uh, where the, the princess is kind of very clearly thinking of, um, impure thoughts, uh, to, to, <laughs> to put it in a, in an old way, uh, of their, uh, spy master, um, and the spy master kind of like plays dumb. She's well, not necessarily playing dumb, but sort of dancing around uh, the, the topic, you know, in a playful way. And it's, it's really enjoyable, especially, you know, we see how flustered the princess is getting until um, finally uh, the, the princess kind of asks outright if uh, she can be with the, the spy master and the spy master, basically says that she knew and it was just kind of playing around with her and it's really really cute it's this cute little uh gay romance and it's nice um and then uh they part ways because there's a there's a battle tomorrow but when whenever uh they're not in battle the implication is that uh, things will resume
1: yeah definitely and hey we we finally did it we got a kiss uh and, and yeah, in this
0: series you're talking about, you were looking forward to it.
1: Yes, very much so. I mean, I feel that this uh, tension was was very much so uh, led up. Yeah, to... Yeah, it's been it.
0: going on for a while in the yeah, story for yeah.
1: for a very long time. And I really like how in this scene right before the the battle, we finally see it kind of come to together, and it's done very well. Like throughout all of the dialogue the banter back and forth was so believable and uh you can definitely tell the amount of flirting how they're both kind of dancing uh around it because it's you know it seems like this meeting this connection isn't really supposed to be quote quote you know there uh, supposed mm-hmm. to play their their roles but they're brought to uh, together and i think it's a really great scene very romantic and kind of beautiful so yeah i i really really mm-hmm. like this this entry and i know next we're about to get a battle which is going to be mm-hmm. fantastic to read so i can't wait
0: mm-hmm. yeah um the only critique i would be uh, I, I would give is to just uh to try and avoid uh anachronisms um this is a story as we understand it. That it's, it's taken place far in the in the past, and of course we're translating for uh, modern audiences. But there's uh, some phrasings or, or words like um di- like the word dating uh probably wouldn't be. It feels like it doesn't belong in the rest of the the, uh-huh. the story, so it took me a little bit out of it. But uh, the rest is yeah. done very very well. Um, and it's only it only took me out of it because the rest of the uh story and tone and and setting was created well enough for me to to be in a different tone and setting
1: yeah because i mean something like dating i think back then would be called courting yeah courting courtship or something like like that um Mm -hmm. and uh i know yeah uh, very much so when at least i kind of try for a period um the first thing that i do is just look up a list of every kind of word that they would have used to describe certain things and i've kind of found that not only does it enhance your own telling and your own writing of it but but it can also help your understanding of the kind of people that were around during during that time so yeah it would be very beneficial to to i don't know try that out
0: sure so the next story is by ace of sword with Honor roll so uh we start off here with uh this uh, teenager or a young teen uh named uh Arch or Archimede which i think is just really funny to have a, a modern name modern day person named Archimede and in fact i think more more people should be named archimedes that's I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it um so he is helping out his father with some uh mechanic stuff but of course you know we got some classic uh, teen angst about it the uh, <laughs> basically thinking um if he's does a bad enough job of helping his father maybe his father will stop asking him to help uh, <laughs> which is very relatable and of course we also see some some tension there where the the father kind of has anger issues and stuff so uh, we we get this snapshot of their relationship which i i really really enjoyed uh but then this uh lady shows up with the, her car's all messed up uh and uh, he, Arch, uh Archimedes is supposed to uh replace the tires and but in the process something shifts inside the van and uh it sounds like it breaks. they open the van that there's a ton of animals inside of it uh and the lady says or one one of the mice uh escapes and we kind of understand that there's some lab connected to this, and so she has to go chase after it and uh so Ark is left alone with uh with the van and and the monk and the animals and this uh one monkey throws a uh throws some kind of test tube at him which he then picks up before it uh sort of crumbles in his hands and get you know gets liquids on his hands and then we we cut to the lady from a distance uh operating a remote breakage test tube breakage device basically uh and we Kind of seen there's something else menacing going on here, which is a fun twist to this uh otherwise fairly grounded story,
1: yeah, and I mean I really did like the uh twist um uh especially because the story itself was so grounded like from from the beginning up until the end really uh it was very relatable about that uh angst you were talking about and having to help your dad in the uh, garage. And I really liked how it still kept that relatability all throughout, uh, up until the very end, where now it seems like there's something much more sinister going on. Uh, And I am kind of very in uh intrigued at that to exactly what is going on uh was the vial filled Mm -hmm. with some sort of in uh infection is this the dawn of the rise of the planet of the apes? uh there are there are a lot of questions that the end kind of raises in me and and that's just a a testament to how good this this twist at the very end really is
0: (laughs) really really talking it up (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, but yeah I, I really really enjoyed this uh, I, I very much particularly enjoyed the, the part where it's the father and son interacting and mm-hmm. um, that's more than anything what I want to, to, to see continued that sort of thing Yeah, I think it's really well done
1: definitely definitely um.
0: so the last story we're going to be talking about this week is by Tom with The Student Uh, So we start off here with this alleyway being described to us as The Student, um, capital S, uh, is standing at the edge of it, accompanied by Fisher. Um, And uh, upon thinking about it, I think it's kind of the implication that these are both like, that like, they both have titles, like Fisher is not his name, he is The Fisher, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's the implication. But anyway, the Fisher and Student are kind of... Uh, bickering a little bit, Fisher is the sort of mentor, as we understand it, and student is the the protege in this sort of uh, magical sort of thing going on. And uh, we get little hints of of what sort of magic is going on here, uh, as Fisher has a magical silver fishing rod that is uh, catching uh, light in a way that gives it a rainbow shimmer. And student has this uh, backpack called pack. That is the name of the backpack, okay. which I, I think is wonderful, the backpack uh, which is uh, sentient and magical. Um, And it uh, is going to uh, help out. And so basically we, we have a lot of uh, character interaction here, uh, followed by the sort of uh, getting ready for, you know, a magical investigation slash fight sort of thing where uh, the pack hands, uh, the student, uh, a gun and um and a bat uh from from the backpack which should fit both of those things and then the backpack rests on their shoulder and 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 talks to them and then they uh i, I love the last line here which is um they stepped into the alley and des- and descended into a localized hell huh. which is uh really really enjoyable uh just to it, it that final line there just gives us a, a broad and quick understanding of what exactly this situation is here um and um in overall i think my favorite thing is just the interactions between the characters uh the student asks Pac to outfit them with queen bitch energy which is <laughs> a very a very modern um way that it, for a character to talk and i really enjoyed that aspect of it
1: yeah, I mean uh, this story is is really great, and I think my favorite part is the uh, character work done. I think the relationship between the uh, between Fisher and the student is really well portrayed here. This master protege dynamic, uh, and I just really love reading about that throughout the entire story. Um, and yeah, as as a lot more of these kind of supernatural things start to happen they feel so very natural within the the story which is done really well uh and yeah i think the biggest thing that i'm kind of looking forward to if this were to be con continued will be more of the uh, character work between fisher and the student i definitely feel that's the strongest thing going for this story overall Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Uh, and uh, yeah i I very much enjoy the little hints of Uh, magic and and world building and things those are very very enjoyable here Uh well all right so that is all the stories from last week uh so now we're going to get into uh my story then we will get into this week's uh stories and then we'll do a, a big round of thank yous for to everyone who left a story and left a comment as well
1: all right so Matthias, for this week what are the words and which words did you choose
0: Uh, this week's words were monster proportion loot and field uh so uh, this week i um i i used monster proportion and field although proportion is like barely in there Mm. and i actually used kind of uh loot was even more of a inspiration for this even if it didn't actually make it into the piece
1: Mm. okay Mm -hmm. uh so uh, uh what exactly got you to write this this week and got you to crank this story out
0: uh, so I, I haven't been having the best, uh, last little while. It's been a little bit of, uh, a lot of sleepless days, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, uh, emotional turmoil. So I haven't been exactly in the most rested state possible. So to be honest, I, uh, basically just went for the most straightforward concept that I could execute and, and something that I was, I, I decided I wanted to, you know, try to emphasize something. And so what I was working on this week was, uh, tension, um and so i kind of wrote a sort of mostly straightforward story where um i mean i guess we'll get into it but uh i i basically stuck to a non-complex formula uh and i think it made it easier for me to explore these things even if i wasn't super up to the task of uh writing a a complex and excellent and nuanced story Uh, so I think that helped me out just to to go along with the guidelines, basically.
1: Okay, I see. I see. N- so, not
0: that it's like so. Not not that it's straight out of something else. It's not a it's not a copy out of TV tropes, but yeah,
1: but uh, but it was a, a straight shooter story, in a sense. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So is there anything else that we really need to know about this story before we hop right on in? I don't think so. All right, then let's get to it, buddy boy.
0: This story is called Monsters in the Forest. The forest was dark, and two little children entered, wielding little flashlights. Their names were Janine and Frederick, though when they were in each other's company, they were Jan and Ricky. They were talking loudly to one another, feeling brave even in the dark, unbeknownst to the dangers of those dark pockets just at the edges of, of civilization, where the light refuses to look like the black corners of the mind. They had just splashed over a little creek, their boots frothing the water when Ricky held a hand up. You hear that? He and Jan stopped. The creek murmured over the stones, while a wind slithered through the upper branches of the trees and the leaves rustled like a faraway chorus. But for an owl hooting back the way they came, there was nothing. Fred grinned. We're far away now that you can't even hear a hint of the highway. Jan smiled back, brow furrowed in in determination. You really think we're going to find it? Ricky nodded. He and Jan stopped. The creek murmured over the stones, while a wind slithered through the upper branches of the trees, and the leaves rustled like a faraway chorus. But for an owl hooting back the way they came, there was nothing. Ricky grinned. We're far away now that you can't even hear a hint of the highway. Jan smiled back, brow furrowed in determination. You really think we're going to find it? Ricky nodded. It's got to be hiding around here somewhere. Bert told me it's afraid of people. Now we just got to find our way to the cave. Right. I scouted it yesterday. It's pretty cool. Follow me. Bert was Ricky's older half-brother, though the distinction didn't mean much as Ricky had never had a full-blood brother, and Bert's father had disappeared some long time ago, too early for Ricky to even remember meeting him. Bert had told the pair about the beast, a monster that haunted the woods and ate birds and dogs and scratched at doors. Supposedly, it slept in The Cave, a location famous among the local teens for being creepy and cool. Jan and Ricky considered themselves very brave twelve year olds. Jan was a Girl Scout and had been on enough camping trips to feel comfortable in the woods at night, while Ricky had recently seen an eighteen and older horror movie and survived. The moon was only the tiniest sliver, an eye winking out, while the sky was blank, stars drowned by lights unseen. They both felt their hearts pumping a little faster as they crept through the bushes their lights only illuminating slices of trees and roots, a dim cone reflecting off of damp dirt, fallen leaves concealing the surface underneath. Some part in the back of their brains was knocking intermittently, whispering, turn back, turn back, turn back. They didn't, though. When a stick cracked in the trees behind them, their lights revealed naught but branches in darkness. They looked to one another, saw each other's brave masks, and decided if the other was not afraid, then they would also pretend not to be, too. And so deeper they went, into the dark. They stopped in a small field and swung their flashlights at their surroundings. Jan, Ricky said. Yeah? Do you know where we are? He said, a single chord of his voice vibrating mutely with anxiety. Um, she turned around, looking back the way they came, her purple shirt black in the lack of light. The flashlight sliced and broke across branches and bark, ones that waved like the arms and bodies of a hundred, hundred starvation thin people, revealing less than nothing. Their path to here had been swallowed up, not by time, but only by dint of darkness. I think we're lost ricky said jan didn't want to agree but there was an urge to move in her boots an urge to find a wall to put her back to or a closet to curl up in maybe we should turn back we can always come back tomorrow we'll mark a path in the morning and then we'll be able to follow it at night yeah okay and her admittance of wanting to turn back made the situation a single degree more serious While certainly Ricky didn't let himself think that something was wrong, assured himself that they were just doing the smart thing and that really, this was all very cool. He knew Jan wouldn't want to turn around just because they were lost. Jan was scared. They entered the brush back the way they came, both pretending to recognize the path back. Jan stepped surely, eyes not drifting from forward for fear of seeing something behind the trees to their sides. Ricky picked his way through, light firmly on the ground, trying not to trip. Do you hear that rustling? Ricky said, and they stopped again and listened. Yeah, Jan said. Come on, it's just the trees. She turned away from him. Then why is there no wind? Ricky said. She halted. A sound like a hundred little claws scraping each other emanated from the trees. The leaves weren't moving. Jan's eyes were wide as she turned the flashlight, the leaves empty and obscured. Jan? I'm scared, Ricky said. A stick cracked to their right and they snapped to that direction, their lights bouncing around from stone to trunk to dirt. Somewhere in the dark... Leaves squished flat under footsteps. The footsteps got louder and faster. Jan and Ricky tense as deer, frozen in the terror, and the footsteps went faster until that something was surely running. Jan screamed as a large shape crashed out of the bushes and pounced on Ricky, and Ricky fell, struggling. Her flashlight waved in the trees, wanting to get a glimpse of what the shape was before running, but when it settled on Rick and the thing... She realized it was clothed. Ricky was still screaming, eyes closed and twisting to get away, but after a second, Jan could hear laughing. The thing stood up. It was a teenager. Get that light out of my face, Bert said. Bert, Ricky said from the ground. You freaking scared me. I know, you look like you peed yourself. I would have thought better of Mama's new baby, Bert said. His laughter was edging on the cruel side. "'Why are you out here?' Jan said. Her heart was still pumping hard, but the adrenaline was leaving her now, slowly. "'Why do you think I told you about the cave?' Bert said. "'I knew you all would come, looking to find it. A regular mystery gang, you two. You're the Velma, and he's the Shaggy.' Bert nudged Ricky with his foot. Ricky got up and dusted himself off. How do you find us? I've been following you since you left the road. You're too easy to follow, like dumb baby deer. Bert straightened. Come on, you're going to the cave tonight. We were actually thinking of going home, Jan said. Bert put a hand on both of the kids' shoulders. He leaned in. I said, you're going to the cave tonight. You're going to see the beast. Again, he straightened, and the smile he had was a leer. I have some friends waiting there. Let's go. The kids looked at each other, but they followed. This was why they'd gone out, after all. It just wasn't the way they wanted to. And now, if there was a beast, Bert was here. And he seemed confident, unafraid. He only looked back to make sure they were following. When he did, his eyes glinted in the dark. They walked a ways. The kids didn't recognize any of their surroundings. They could feel they were getting close, though. There was a new sound under the wind, like singing, or maybe murmuring, always just under the edge of recognizance. The air smelled wet and thick, and blood pounded in their ears. The trees opened into a new clearing. The, th- the floor turned to crumbling stone that ramped up to a hill. Ahead of them was a hole in the stone, small, only big enough for someone to crawl through on their knees, a few feet up from the ground. The walls of it curled away instantly, so that even with the light on the entrance, it was black. Here we are, Bert said. Go on, you'll want to go inside. Isn't the beast in there? Ricky asked. The little tremor had come back into his voice. Oh yeah, it's in there. But don't worry, it's asleep. And you're a brave boy, aren't you? You and your friend both are, always looking around places. Don't mind the size of the hole, it's bigger in the inside. He ushered them forward. The rain from yesterday had left a puddle in front of the little cave, and they splashed through it. The water came up halfway up to their chins and smelled like algae. Go in, Bert said. He stood close behind the two they looked at one another there was something wrong jan went first head first into the hole in the wall the stones were slick under her shins a cold air pushed against her face as the light waved back and forth illuminating black stone walls and lichen it opened to a wider space and ricky and bert came out behind her they had to hunch their heads The walls jutted and curved, never letting the light hit the whole room at once, concealing crevices and further tunnels, most small, a few out of proportion with the rest. Water had gotten in, and so every step echoed splashes down and down the corridors. It was hard to tell if the noises they heard were themselves or something else. There was a scent in the air, too, mixed with the earth. It was hard to tell of what, though. Go on. Bert hissed, "Down the crack to the left, that's where it is. Don't get lost. The way these caves go, you might never be found again." They had to turn sideways to fit through it, arms up above them. It was impossible to see what was ahead of them as they inch down. The smell got stronger—dirt and something acrid, fetid—and the walls felt too close and the light reflected off the walls in ways that left them unable to see anything but the three feet of stone directly in front of them, reflections even masking the edges of the rocks. They exited into a room, and there it was. The smell of shit and blood pressed against them. Curled against one wall was a furry mass, a bear, its face pressed against the stone in a grimace. Its fur dirty, wet, and sliming things spilling out onto the floor. Organs, a mess, and a pool of reflecting red. Jan and Ricky both froze. Their lights didn't leave the body. Didn't leave the glistening spiral of intestine. Didn't leave the staring, scared eyes. Behind them was a metal-on-metal sound. Well... You found it, Bert said. Two knives glinted in his hands. He grinned wide. Don't you feel brave now?
1: All right, so fantastic story, Matthias. I really, really liked uh, how much this story really focused on these two characters in this kind of dark woods. Uh, In a sense, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, I was getting subtle Stephen King vibes from the story uh in a sense that this definitely feels like it could take place uh uh in the town that uh, it happened right um, really yeah, yeah, uh only because uh of course, with this uh older half half brother uh kind of turning into this oh yeah uh I guess bad. Of this like bad guy right um uh-huh. as to
0: say the least yeah uh
1: e- especially since uh one of the main characters i think his name was ricky yeah um yeah he was uh, he was talking about bart so much so uh kind of what got you to uh i guess write this story how you did and like working on that tension in a sense
0: so, uh, I- I'm very flattered by the the King comparison. Uh, not, I-, I will have to admit, not inspired by King, mm-hmm. uh, as I actually haven't read anything of King's other than, uh, on writing, which is not his typical, uh, Yeah <laughs> not at all. story. <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. And I-, I mean, I think I've also read some short story of his, I can't quite remember, mm-hmm. but anyway, um... It was just kind of the the, the general, uh, I, I think I'm just pulling from the, the wider ambiance of just every horror story that happens in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to just have some unsuspecting, weak characters, and so those were, so I had uh, kids in the story, and I wanted them to be looking for something, uh, a, a goal, something to get lost in the woods, something to start that is sort of a threat and building up tension. And so I had the the beast and, which is, I know is not very creative of a name at all. And then I wanted, you know, a little bit of twist. And so I added in the, 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 the teenager and uh, what I was actually going for. I was trying to follow the formula of, most horror er, that i've seen which is basically right you build up tension and then you have something that releases tension a, a fake out kind of thing mm-hmm. and then you rebuild it up in a, in a different way mm. and so that's what i was trying to do where the the teen shows up it's this a scary surprise and then we find it's just the teen but then actually the teen is starts getting more concerning over time until that actually is the threat
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, and and honestly, that worked really well within this story. I mean, as you said, it it uh, it, it read ex- exactly like that. There was so much tension leading up to them actually going in to the woods, uh, and then when the release of it being uh, Bart, I was I was very re- relieved. Only to feel as they were edging closer to the cave that Bart was a lot more sinister and a uh and a lot more pushy and i think that that kind of worked to making the ending this i mean as i read the the ending i felt really bad but for the right reasons mm-hmm. right because it's like oh man okay good bart's gonna make them murder this this bear uh th- this bear that's already murdered other things but still <laughs> Bart is is way too gun uh gun ho to stab this this bear to a death
0: so oh is that how you took it
1: yes that's how i took it how was i supposed to take Matias?
0: well to be fair i i did get a little uh unclear at the end but my what i was trying to do is that the, the bear's already dead mm, okay. and they're gonna die too um I don't. I I, in my mind actually there was a lot of other explanations there that I I realized didn't get make it into the final story. I was uh, having in mind that basically he was going to uh, frame their death as as have like like he was going to kill them and then basically frame their death as having been killed by the bear um, that they were unsuspecting kids who like went into. A cave and it got mauled mm, Okay, but uh i definitely understand why that didn't come across yeah. i mean i considering think uh, most of it didn't actually make it into the story
1: yeah. well, well i think the, the thing that that got twisted for me is that as i was reading when the bear's head was was on the wall and there was blood everywhere i kind of took it as that was his latest kill um oh. but i'm Pretty sure if I did go back and uh, reread it, uh, the the real meaning would probably come uh, uh, across. Uh, and now that you explain it to me, uh, Bart's even more so of a sinister person because he's going to kill these mm-hmm. these kids. That's he's a
0: kid murderer. Exactly. That's right. That's um, right so yeah i I actually my my original vision for what was going to happen I think would have been better, but it just took a different turn and then it ended up not doing that, so basically, what I had in mind was uh this the same kind of threat right that they're looking for something or they feel threatened while they're in the woods and then fake out and then it turns out that the fake out is the the real thing but i I was originally thinking that it was going to be like some kind of ritual sort of thing oh. or just I think adding more motive to Bert, I think would uh, make his uh, betrayal a little bit stronger. Um, you know, more stuff maybe about resenting, you know, his half brother or whatever sort of thing, or, you know, maybe he just wants to kill someone and yeah. get away with it. You but know, some I, people just but I do, do that. think
1: that maybe adding that, that reason could definitely re- reinforce this, oh, yeah, this sure. story, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, real a uh, uh, real quick though i i do want to talk about this really great theme that you're setting up which is the theme of bravery uh in a sense mm-hmm. how these two kids go in uh, go into the these woods and they're both very clearly acting brave when they really aren't uh and i yeah. like the the scene where they get spooked but then they look at each other and realize that the other person is Acting brave, so they have to also act brave, uh, and I just really liked mm-hmm. that scene because it felt very relatable to all of the spooky nights that that I've been in the woods, and like uh, I would have to look at someone else and say, "Okay, he's not cowering in in fear. I shouldn't." <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, and like even more so, I really liked at the end how this idea of trying to be brave kind of in a sense backfired uh mm-hmm. to where yeah. now uh, uh bart is is, is saying is saying to the kids are you ready to to be brave as he's about to to kill them so i think yeah that was a really solid thing that you carried throughout and i think it it definitely helped kind of frame this story in a lot of ways um
0: yeah I, i'm i'm really glad they came across that was something i was Um, I intentionally did, but I didn't intentionally repeat, like, I, and it, it ended up being repeated, but it wasn't something that I had like set out to, to bring across. Right. Um, but so, but, but I'm glad that it did. I think that's, if you were, if I was going to, you know, repolish this up and, and make this into a full story, I think that might be one of the themes basically of just like, Hey, maybe, uh, you pay attention to your own feelings and communicate them instead of uh, always putting on that brave face or pretending that nothing is wrong because uh, that's how you die
1: yeah and and, and like honestly mm-hmm. I can really see you uh, very easily turning this story into a uh, into a cautionary tale basically a, uh, a exactly what you just said kind of turning it to where acting brave so often is a bad thing right uh and i think if you were to to do that it would definitely not only bring the points of the story across but it'll make it even more so poignant um especially Mm -hmm. as you're getting to the the end so yeah i just really really dug that um sure um how
0: did the uh descriptions of the forest and the cave uh work on building tension were they effective or was it um I guess just not effective. Yeah. <laughs> I think is the is the other end. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, distracting maybe. Yeah,
1: um, I mean, for for me, they they worked really well. I really loved how much you described the uh, darkness and the deserted feeling of of these woods and the the cave. Uh, personally, for for my taste, I'm the kind of person that loves way too much description i want a entire picture to be painted um and i do feel in certain places uh it was a a little light uh like uh sure. when we did go to the cave i would have loved to see what the outside of it looked like and the like little narrow mm-hmm. uh, narrow pathway going in but then once we did get there you did a great job of Uh, showing the the scene of this bloody mess, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I feel that in certain parts, it's really great and really strong description, but I feel uh, like on the travel to the cave um, and a bit of the middle when the kids are just lost in the woods, uh, more description in those moments can definitely work to build up a lot more... Of the tension that you're kind of going with,
0: sure, yeah, yeah, I can, I could see where it could add more. Yeah, I'm in this thing where uh, all of my paragraphs actually end up very short compared to uh, how some other people write. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it might just come off of I read a lot of web serials and a lot of web serials have shorter. Paragraphs. Uh, yeah, shorter paragraphs. Basically, ma- ma- maxing out around like four or five sentences. Oh, okay, wow. Uh, but there's no reason that actually needs to be the limit. So yeah, yeah, definitely something I can I can try and uh, experiment a little bit more. Yeah, with.
1: and I mean, like if that's the style that you're going for, that could definitely like add to the story itself. Because I do know that shorter that shorter paragraphs does kind of expediate the events of the story right so I mean that mm-hmm. so I mean something like that can definitely work in your advantage uh i I just think for uh i uh I just think for me I'm really uh looking for and kind of thirsting for a huge body a paragraph of just description to kind of fully get a taste of really what this scene and like what this world really feels like, you know. Sure. Um yeah. Yeah. But no, like I think one of the best parts is uh when you said that the wind was slithering through the the trees. Like that perfect, like mm-hmm. that perfectly uh showed me exactly how the che- how the trees are are really swaying and how rapid the the winds are really flowing through it. So yeah, like stuff like that really really great and i would love to kind of see that sprinkled throughout the entire story
0: yeah i've been trying to um experiment more with just casual metaphor that's something that i don't do very often uh i actually have been doing a lot more with uh poetry recently uh, not that this has nice. really any of that um but no, just you know great, doing man. more experimentation hmm mm. yeah Um, So you're, uh, for for the most part, I just think of, uh, it's not that kind of poetry, almost like no rhyme or meter or anything like that, but basically just stuff that sounds good to me. So, um, mm -hmm. stuff that is very hashtag deep. (laughs)
1: So. <laughs> Hashtag deep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. All right. Yeah, so... if if you want
0: to hear some of that, uh, send me a DM and un- and I'll tell you. I'm not going to post it anywhere because uh, definitely not ready for for anything half official. But <laughs> All right, if you want to hear Matthias's shitty poetry, send me a message.
1: I'm finna send you a DM right now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, if you had the the chance to go back. And just switch up this story in any way, shape, form, or fashion that you would ever want to. What would you change about it in that second run? Uh,
0: I think I would have a clear idea for the plot in mind and work more with... Um, the characters' motivations to build that sort of uh, tension and things like that and maybe take it just, like, a a bit slower as they go out, maybe show a little bit more, show a little bit more of um, the uh, fear of uh, Jan and, and Ricky and also probably show at least one of their deaths because that is more interesting
1: mm, Okay, and sad. <laughs> it's quite mm-hmm. sad. And uh, is there mm-hmm. anything that you really learned from writing this week?
0: Well, one thing actually at the beginning uh is that I just let myself uh narrate in a storybook way and i have mentioned this a couple of times, but it's actually for me much easier to write in that way than to write how I do normally mm, okay and so it's interesting how i like I have more some storytelling methods that just feel more natural and smoother when I write them, but I don't want to write in them for some reason so uh I, I think using those even more like there was there was one some time ago uh probably some episode in like the the 50s or 40s of our numbers not not the year uh (laughs) that had um it was a story about uh, a raven right Mm -hmm. um a, a well that one was was really really easy to write in in that tone even if it ended up being it it ended up being pretty long because of that so yeah, just uh, letting myself do stuff like that, letting myself just pick an easier route and working with it rather than uh, choosing arbitrarily whatever style I want to be using.
1: Okay, cool, cool, nice. So basically switching it up to something a little bit more, I guess, experimental in a sense? Uh,
0: Well, just different from what I usually do.
1: Okay. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool, cool. Well, thank you very much for bringing your story to us, Matthias.
0: (laughs) You're so welcome, Jarvis. All right. Uh, But okay, let's get into the listener stories from this week. Mm
1: -hmm. As you already know and have already heard, definitely, uh, we are going to spoil these. So please stop, go, read them, and come back to us. And the stories that we will be talking about this week are by Zachatiggy, No Goodbye, Kamikaze Tomato, Ace of Sword, and One Merry Lilac.
0: So the huh. only uh, repeat between the two weeks was Ace of Sword, but that also makes sense considering they write all the time.
1: All the time, uh, every week. I
0: think, yeah, basically one of our more uh, most con- consistent writers. We really appreciate that. So this story is called Dominoes, and this is a sequel to actually the last time we talked about them, I think the week before last. Mm-hmm. Oh, or the week before or yeah uh so that one was about a king getting a bunch of uh very negative omens and so uh, here we pick up on on the the ground floor where uh, a team of adventurers ha- have headed into the uh, abandoned Uh, citadel and they are starting to uh explore it basically on behalf of the king to see if there's any threats or anything like that so we get a lot of uh, description of the area we sort of get some interaction between our our four main characters we have a rogue we have uh, a priest we have um a a warrior you know our our classic archetypes and we have some you know, uh, differing motivations. The uh, priest doesn't want to, is not motivated to get treasure or anything like that. It's here to protect the others and try and purify the place, not necessarily trying to get any loot or whatever. Uh, But they journey around the area, this, this ruined area. And uh, until they come across uh, this pit at the bottom of the throne room, which really tells you a lot about this uh, place. And at the bottom there is uh, the exile and uh it, the um general both both the characters from a story that happened a long time ago essentially and uh, they investigate the body of the exile and they are getting sort of hints that what happened here is not necessarily the story that they've been told um it that maybe there's something even more evil than whatever the exile was um like for example the exile was crying when they landed at the bottom of the pit and they have tears of stone which i thought was just really uh interesting um yeah as a as a world building clue uh, uh and so they decide what to do with the bodies um before they continue on their adventure
1: yeah uh, and i think this story is really ripe with the world building like, um, overall, that's the thing that really grabbed me the most, uh, this descent into this place and down to the bottom of the pit with this, with this stone, uh, statue that has stone tears. Like I thought it was really cool and really very, uh, descriptive. Uh, and honestly, I'm just kind mm-hmm. of looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um, uh, uh, especially since there's so much talk about this evil right and it's this very general term that just has so much weight to it uh and i really think that's just because of the way that it is written and i don't know it was a really great read and i would really recommend people to go and check this out Hmm.
0: yeah my favorite part is basically the mysteries that are getting seated there mm-hmm. at the very end of the the story yeah definitely uh, the, the questions that are being raised the next story we're talking about is, uh, by no goodbye, uh, fair trade. So this story is by no goodbye and it's called fair trade. So in this one, we have, uh, Lara, this, this main character here on this desert planet, gazing at the stars, looking at, uh, the, the starships that are passing by hoping for a way off. Uh, so they're, they're mostly scavengers and the, the aliens usually come down actually to get, organs um, of I, I think it's implied of the, the sentient creatures of, of the planet which is a little bit concerning uh, but they are very wealthy so Laura wants to get off and at one point in her uh, life she basically um, s- found a way to sneak into the uh, places that the uh, aliens stay and was able to pick up the these cold stones which I think are implied basically to be some kind of uh, refrigeration device or something and using the stones is able to uh over time harvest enough fresh organs to bring to uh the starship creatures and and hopefully trade for a ride off to a different planet Uh, but we have a twist here a really cruel one where the creature Uh, says that she has enough but demands her to give up at least one of her organs in front of him uh, basically more or less just for his enjoyment Uh, but she does it and it's incredibly painful there's no anesthetic and it's you know almost a performance Uh, but she does get a seat on that starship she does get to follow her dream
1: yeah so uh very crazy story i really really liked um just the overall tone of this story Uh, there's a sense of uh, desperation throughout that i really like and from the beginning to the end it reaches this point of strangity that feels so very natural and uh yeah in a sense as soon as it did get there I was like, whoa, <laughs> this story is completely mm-hmm. different from what I thought in that it was going to be, but I really appreciated that twist. Um, also, the the world building here is top tier, so yeah, I really like this story.
0: Yeah, yeah, a super enjoyable read. Uh, and yeah, No Goodbye uh, mentions in the comment that this is basically a, a Star Wars reference. Um which i thought was just really mm. funny but this is much darker than any star Wars story i've ever seen so
1: oh a thousand times darker <laughs> uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. um all right so Wait, next it's, up it's a, it's a, is Kamikaze really tomato with two choices uh
0: so this is a very very interesting story and i'm i'm very excited to talk about it so we start off here um with uh these lines here uh, which I'm going to summarize it a little bit. Uh, when you kill a monster, you have to act fast. Dig deep into its innards, make a slimy aperture, break its crystalline shell, do whatever you have to to get at the core, the little heart of gold. Every monster starts starts the same way. So uh, the, the the backstory for this world, basically, is that gold, any amount of gold left alone is uh, Made into a monstrous force and basically starts turning into a monster. Uh, we kind of get the 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 backstory of what's going on here is that sometime in the past someone cursed all the gold to uh, turn into monsters or something of the sort. Basically, we th- there's no records exactly that what happened, but uh, basically the more gold comes together, the stronger the monster. And, uh, these gigantic collections of gold basically have become gods, um, and so when you find gold, you, you are given two options and it's, it's presented really well here, right? It, it goes into this one normal option, uh, the, the expected option, which is that you put uh, a sign of a God on it and then you offer it to the God. And so then we understand that basically the God gets stronger whenever it gets more gold. And so it will give you a gift in return, right? It's basically superpowers or magical powers and things like that. And is. It, it's just really interesting because we were presented with the idea of gods before we're kind of get the implication that they are getting stronger because of the gold. And, uh, then it shifts and basically is, uh, implying that these gods are not good at all for the world. They're just super powerful monsters, essentially. And the other option other than offering to the gods is to, Uh, hide it and as the gods like fight each other and little bits of gold fall down instead of ever regaining it the more you hide the weaker they get and eventually you could bleed them dry essentially
1: yeah i thought the world building in this was amazing uh also i i really loved how focused it it really was on these very two on these two very uh choices and uh, in the first one, we got so much about the gods and and exactly what inscribing uh, their name on this piece of gold can do uh, and how much of greedy gods they they really are. But then the second choice uh, seemed to go directly against these these gods. And I thought it was a really great dichotomy that was really set up here Um and yeah, overall, I think the world building here is top tier. Uh, and I kind of really want to see where it goes from here, in a sense. But yeah, really good.
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I-, I thought it was just a, a really, really great... Uh, sort of journey mm-hmm. through this world. I think it's a- it's really excellently... Uh, constructed where even though this is basically just a a world-building narration right because it's done in this certain voice that has this motivation behind it because it sounds like someone in that world talking to someone else essentially uh and and it has this progression from one concept to another it's not just it's a persuasive Piece essentially it's a speech not a wikipedia entry right uh i think it's a really well really really well done piece of of world building here and i yeah i just very much enjoy this this dichotomy right and then it's it's there's this interesting theme here where right gold is the originator of greed or uh is very symbolic of greed and so mm-hmm. these symbols of greed literally are greedy right they want to get even more gold right um but also if you kill the monster and you have a nugget of gold then you are then presented with a choice of altruism right giving up that power and getting nothing in return but doing a collective good or greed and exchanging it for personal power And so it's just an interesting way to reflect that in different ways. And I think that's very, very interesting and and just fascinating. It's also just a great concept. I really enjoy it. Yeah,
1: really, really great. Um, All right. And next up is Zakatiki with Dig In, Overcome.
0: Uh, So this is one, almost one particular moment of a scene. And I think it's, it's, it really, um, digs into the description of this basically so our main character here is slammed by this giant boar which i'll just very quickly say that it's a, a wilder boar which is some uh times what how we refer to our favorite author here which i i think is just funny but anyway uh it pushes against our main character's shield and we get multiple multiple paragraphs of of just the the sheer weight of this particular struggle it's not and and what's great about it is that it doesn't get boring even if it is one action because we are just going through so many different aspects of this moment we go from how the tusks are are putting in um pushing against two particular points on the shield on we go to how uh her legs are like uh, coiled springs and they're about to tremble and i really could feel the exhaustion in our our main our, our character's muscles and then how uh the the beast is like grinding against the sand and it's really really evocative of of all this until finally um our main character builds up strength uh she shouts and is able to flip the the boar o- over and then all of her teammates uh while she is exhausted uh, pile on it a- pile on it and uh, hit it with everything they have until they're finally able to defeat it. And she gains some experience and, and, and some points and, and things like that. And, uh, we kind of understand, but here by the end that this is a sort of, uh, lit RPG. So it's this, it's a world that's like a role playing game, except it's real. Like the experience points are like a real thing. And the characters don't know that they're in a video game like world. This is just how the world works. Um, which is just really—it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, um,
1: I love mm-hmm. how focused the story really is on this one moment, right? Uh, because it goes through so many different facets that that makes that makes this event, this this head-to-head bout, so impactful. Um, to to the point that when she does finally flip over the abhor, I'm cheering with her, right? And I think the Mm -hmm. surprise of it being a a RPG was really nice, and it gave me like those 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 nostalgic feelings that I uh, that I got when I watched uh, Sword Art Online. Right?
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Don't watch Sword Art Online. Uh, Hey, hey, hey!
1: I think. You gotta watch it at least once, but that's just me. That's just me.
0: Can someone can a twenty dollar can a twenty can a, twen, no? I guess it's forty five dollar. Can a forty five dollar patron please uh, use their one show recommendation on Sorta Online, but request me and Jarvis on there just so we can rant about yes, it? Yes,
1: because there's a. Whole
0: we won't. I, we won't. I, I'm not going to say anything nice about it at all. I'm not going to say anything nice <laughs> about see, it at I'm, all. But it will be very see, enjoyable. I'm going to say only nice so, things
1: about it because i am what they call a sword art online apologist all right
0: i can't why
1: <laughs> but back it's so bad But back on the story i wait hold
0: on hold on real quick i saw sorry i i have to i saw a tweet that was like um it was some sort of online stan someone that loves uh-huh. it and their tweet was something like uh sort of online haters always have the same tired arguments that and it's like why would you need more than a couple arguments on why Sword Art Online is bad? Like, you don't need fresh arguments. Oh, yeah. It's an old well, show that's been bad for a very long time. I mean, time. there aren't any
1: fresh arguments because uh. the issues with the show have sustained throughout almost all of its run. Um, Terrible. Yeah. But, hey, it is a lot better than most shows out there. Uh, but... Hey.
0: But back... Final recommendation... If you uh, are a patron, you can be responsible for a sort of online episode. Well, you just have to give us $45 and it will be an episode with your name on it. I'm just yeah. saying.
1: Okay, and then one smaller smaller tangent. Okay. And then we'll stop. Uh-huh. But if yeah, of course. but if you do want a show that is a isekai, which is the genre that mm-hmm. uh, Sword sort online is, there are three shows mm-hmm. that I'm about to list. One is a comedy which is named Kanosuke. So those are my three wow. isekai recommendations and they are all a lot better than Sword Art Online.
0: I re- regret going on this Me tangent.
1: too. But back on the story once again.
0: Yeah, we have one final story to talk about. Sorry, One Mary Lilac for uh, delaying with some uh, just garbage Very talk. Garbage just talk. really <laughs> low value talk. Uh here we so so one mary lilac has an un, untitled story here uh, but we start off with uh nadia staring down um at the monster that used to be her f- best friend edward so edward here has been turned into a monster one arm is just gi- gigantic basically but the other arm is uh normal um and there's this uh white stone, on his forehead uh, and his f- eyes are all white. And-, and basically we understand that this gem has uh, possessed him in in some sort of way. And uh, so he- we have an action scene here where Nadia does not want to hurt her friend. Um, and she has this uh shape shifting sword that-, that turns into a shield at, at one point, but, uh, he's just too aggressive uh, he still has his own magical powers with his good with his normal arm if he touches the ground he can make um uh spikes shoot out of the ground and it's uh just just too much for her she she can't play safe anymore uh and so she basically has to twist dodge and stab him and end his existence, and he he fades basically into a withered corpse, and so that really throws away any idea that we had that uh, this could have been salv- salvageable, and that he could turn back to normal. And uh, she picks up the stone, and uh, it, it's it's this uh, sad moment. She 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 curses Ed, um, and we kind of understand that he probably is responsible in some way for his own death, but not in a in a way that actually makes Nadia feel better about it.
1: Yeah, uh, I really love the dread that came across in this story of having to kill one of your friends, right? Uh, and I love how reluctant this this main character really was in doing it. But at the very end, uh, she has to do what she has to, to do. Uh, and I think that thread definitely really carried the uh, story. Um, and on top of that, I think a lot of the action is really... Well placed to where I can very vividly see exactly what is going on. So overall, I think this is a, is a very mm-hmm. successful story, and I would definitely recommend people to come and read it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I particularly like just how the the action is executed. We. Uh, really understand uh how things are moving and even though there's some magic going on with these these spikes shooting out of the ground and her sword shifting shapes it just uh, sort of feels right there's the lines here uh where um she uses her power for the first time Nadia willed her sword to shift like it had always been that way she suddenly had a shield in front of her uh, and the monster rammed into that without touching her and that's just a really great order of events essentially in a way to describe that so first we have like the 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 feeling of what's going on we kind of just understand like the the sort of flavor of the action of how it, it shifts from sword to shield and then it's there and then there's an impact against it and uh it's just it rolls really smoothly through it so really really great job one Mary Lilac
1: all right, so thank you so much to everyone who submitted their story. We are sorry that we weren't able to, to talk about all of y'all, but we will take a quick little moment right now to shout y'all out.
0: That's right. And every single one that uh, every, every time that you write, of course, your chance of getting selected goes up. So keep that in mind. So
1: thank you very much to Kamikaze Tomato. Thank you, Ghost Pac-Man 4. Thank you, Nick, to you. Who was a new thank writer you. for that week? that's right thank you
0: so much for joining us thank you Sarah Penguin thank you
1: Ace of Sword
0: thank you Paradox thank you No Goodbye thank you Jarby Jaws thank you Ritam so those were the people from uh, that first week so uh, now we're going to thank the people from this week exactly
1: so thank you very much to Ace of Sword again thank you Jarby Jaws thank you No Goodbye thank you Nick Thank you, Kamikaze Tomato. Thank you, Zakatigi, And thank you, One Mary Lilac. And also, we would like to get a big old do-the-right-thing thank you to everyone who did leave a comment. Uh, Leaving a comment not only helps you figure out what you liked about someone else's story, but it can also help you figure out what's working in your own story. So thank you very much to Nick to You, No Goodbye, One Mary Lilac, Jarby Jazz, Paradox, Ghost Pac-Man 4, and Ace of Sword. Thank you so much for leaving comments this week.
0: Yeah, you guys did fantastic. And especially I just want to uh, thank you all for, for participating while we didn't have uh, uh, an actual episode out. Uh, the fact that it continued despite that is is just really, really cool. And we really appreciate your support that way. That's yeah, awesome. And, uh, keeping this alive, even if we're not around, is, is really important to, to yeah, me so- at least.
1: So thank you very much for uh, doing that for us. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers, you can do that by going to our subreddit, which is slash r slash do the right thing. All you have to do is go to the most recent week, sit down for 30 minutes, and use three of four words for that week.
0: That's right. Uh, which we'll announce at the end of this podcast. Um mm-hmm. If you want to hear the words uh, the the earliest possible, the, the place to do that is to follow us on Twitter, which is at Right Thing Cast. Uh, that's oh. where we get our announcements, and uh, that's where you would uh, get the announcement of this episode coming out, or last episode not coming out, of last week not having an episode. That's a, where you would find that out first, as well as uh, when the words uh, come out. Exactly. I really did some great phrasing right there.
1: fantastic phrasing Uh, and if you want to send us a direct message maybe you want to tell us something or maybe you want us to submit your story for that week for you you can do that by going to our email which is at rightthinkcast at gmail.com
0: that's right and of course you can always go to the subreddit to read all the stuff that's there I have forgotten for a while now to post our episodes there that's really really bad I need to do that Mm. expect spam on the subreddit soon because i'm going to post all the episodes there probably already by the time (laughs) this comes out probably Mm uh yeah thank you so much um do we oh yeah let's talk about uh doof media so uh, yeah, we're, doof we're part doing? of the doof media network and there's there's always cool stuff going on uh and i want to plug my podcast again the the other one that i do uh decomposing worm just real quick um we're going through worm again basically so we're uh, we've got worm um covered that web serial uh, arc by arc uh more or less we're covering it um about three hundred thousand words at a time we are just now uh getting past the halfway point which is kind of crazy we're in episode 7 of 12 um and so the end is approaching soon only a month and a week left i think um and so yeah if you were wanting to jump in at some point now is the time especially considering episodes are so long you have some time to to catch up on our last episode was four hours long i hope (laughs) that's our max i don't want to have a five-hour episode um at that point we should just call dan carlin and and take his job from him um so um yeah, and and of course, there's always uh, other cool stuff going on. The Doofcast this week is covering Rango, uh, the the, Rango. the the best Johnny Depp film. So <laughs> hands down, hands down. Uh, and yeah, there's always cool stuff going on. Go ahead and uh, go to our website doofmedia.com. We have a calendar there actually on the on the front page. If you if you click on there, and you can see everything that we're doing, and everything that we're doing in the future. So you can look forward to episodes that are coming up.
1: If you want to support us in creating the content that you love listening to, you can do that by going to the to the Doof Media to the Doof Media Patreon. All all you have to do is is dedicate to giving a dollar or more or more per month, and you will be helping us in not only creating the art that we want to create, but also you will get access to the exclusive Doof Media Discord that's filled with wonderful we. That's filled with wonderful people all looking for a great conversation.
0: That's right. Um, yeah, another way to help us if you, you know, don't have uh, money to spare right now, which we completely understand and you uh-huh. never have to explain to us. Um, you can always go and help us out by leaving us a rating and re- rating and review on uh, iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, we have seven ratings on itunes (gasps) all five stars i appreciate that so much y'all are awesome however we don't have any reviews so if someone looks up our podcast they don't have any like words to look up they just have the number so if you want to take some time and do that and maybe you know leave reviews on all the podcasts you listen to doof media or not uh i mean and that's that's what i did i did it in a big binge and then i got rid of all the guilt so (laughs) uh that's that's what i re- recommend um yeah you, you could uh really help us out that way and of course we'll re- read re- read your review if you um don't say that you don't want us to so <laughs> uh, we yeah it really helps us out
1: yeah very much so uh well all right it's time to get to next week's words drum roll please
0: i never do a drum roll I'm yes above you drum don't rolls. but
1: but every week I hope that someday someone will give me a drumble. But at any rate, the words for next week are permanent. Head insight and creation. Uh
0: that's right. So permanent as in to make something uh s- not something temporary. That, not temporary. The opposite of temporary, something that lasts um indefinitely, essentially. Uh, a change can be permanent or something can be a permanent feature. Um, head, uh, as in the top part of your body. Um, but also, it could be used as a uh, route uh, for a lot of other words, like a head, something that is mm-hmm. in front, or uh, a heading, which is the direction that a ship goes in, or... um Felatio. I can't think of... Yeah, you could, you could use it as a colloquialism for fellatio i'd have a slight preference that you don't but you could <laughs> so um yep yep then uh insight which is the uh sort of um understanding uh, uh, getting a deeper understanding of something essentially um it although of course you could always use a um use it in a magical way and somehow use it to describe some kind of vision that looks inward and then creation the act of making something that wasn't there before
1: Mm. so matias what story are you gonna write next
0: oh i'm going first okay um well uh i am an inventor actually i uh yeah, I'm 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 an inventor like in the movies and stuff where it doesn't actually make sense what I'm making and how someone without like a degree would make it. You know how like Anakin Skywalker can just like build a whole ass robot without going to MIT for 10 years? It, I'm that kind of inventor. So, uh I was working in my shop, which is located in the junkyard, as, you know, all inventors do, uh, working on my latest creation when I had, uh, I, I discovered uh, this car, a whole car, and I had this insight that that would be the great uh, this car, uh, which is um, a Beetle, would work really well as the head of a giant robot. And so I started working on that, and I was I was putting it all together. This giant mech, essentially, I was gonna, you know, I I would be in the car, and then using the steering wheel, you know, if I turned the steering wheel to the right, then the left leg would move forward. Like just like <laughs> kind of imagine how that how that would work you know and then if i go the other way then the right leg and then the um stick shift would control it only has one arm it's kind of a crane arm in the back and so that's what i would uh, would use um and uh so i i spent a long time uh sort of making that putting that all together um Trying to you know make sure that the the, the parts uh, don't uh, come across um, or come come apart. I mean to say, uh, and so I started taking it out on uh, a journey, actually a rampage through the city because I I I am that kind of inventor um and i'm really struggling to find a way to to use the word permanent that's why this is going on so long uh and uh, so i was i was i was rampaging through the town it's actually it's not a city it's it's more of a town the the, the biggest building is like four or five stories and, but you know my mech actually goes up to the top part so um i was uh basically smashing through buildings left and right and then just causing a lot of damage um uh, but oh I was basically yelling to the citizens below that this was not permanent because once (laughs) I took over, uh, things were just going to be a lot better and I was going to rebuild the whole city to um, be in a kind of retro-futurist aesthetic and it would be just a lot better than it was before. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my story.
1: Wow, that was really nice. It was your journey into becoming the the math scientists who were it meant to me be. It
0: took me way too long to think of a way to use the word permanent. I really struggled <laughs> there. That was a real problem.
1: <laughs> well, my story next week will um, be my own take on, sis- on Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Uh, and I will call it the Brotherhood of the Traveling Coat. Uh, because you see, okay. this beautiful fur coat has been all over the world, baby. There's so much insight in the fabric of this coat you know mm-hmm. this this coat was first made by Nikola Tesla him himself um, throughout the uh, creation of electricity because mm-hmm. one thing that people don't know that that the smarter you are, the colder your head gets, and this coat even oh. though, even though it doesn't cover the head can warm up uh-huh. your body to to the point to where your head is as hot as the rest of your body now wow this coat has been throughout time throughout history but i'm not going to focus on that i'm going to focus on where this coat ends up and that's in a futuristic gutter somewhere i'm talking near 2077 dog all right uh-huh now there's burn marks on it cigarette burns and they're all permanent this uh-huh. coat used to be worn by Kirk Cobain, was worn by Michael Jackson, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. All of them had this disgusting fur coat. And, and do you know why? Because the coat's magic. There's something eldritch, something beautiful woven into the, BA, into the fabric uh-huh. of this coat to wear in itself. This coat is God's last greatest creation.
0: Wow. That was so good. You used Creation twice. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Uh, That's I, beautiful. I'm that I'm, I'm in tears right
0: now. Actually, I've I've got I have uh, big fat uh, Ghibli tears. tears. The Studio mm. Ghibli tears rolling down Studio my Ghibli my tears. cheeks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you for yeah. making me sob on air. I really really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs>
1: it's it is what I do. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, my whole goal of really being here uh, at uh, do the right thing is to make the people that I care about the most cry. Mm hmm.
0: Is is that how you is that how you do the right thing? That is how I do the right thing. Yeah, that is. That do be how he do the right thing. That do be how he do do be how he be doing that do be how he be doing it that right is thing. how he